I'd like to add my welcome to, no doubt, the many that you have already received. If we haven't met, my name is Charles Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here. And boy, you are a joy to look at. And it's a joy to celebrate Easter with each of you. For this morning, we're looking at a story in Jesus' life that gives us a picture of just who that man is and the desires that he operates with. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, this is several days before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Uh, and uh, there are many who are upset at him at this point, so much so that his life was in danger, and yet at the same time, his ministry was growing. More and more people were coming to recognize him as the Son of God. Uh, who was sent into the world, the the Christ who was sent into the world to deliver his people and are placing their faith in him. And all of this ministry was being carried carried out in the wilderness because that was the only place that he was safe. And it's there when news comes to him that his dear friend Lazarus is sick and death appears to be on the horizon for him. Now, uh, going to see Lazarus meant drawing near to Jerusalem which meant drawing near to imminent danger. And it meant the possibility of his own death. So much so that that his disciples told him, don't do this. Don't go see Lazarus, is what they were saying. And yet still he went. And his disciples went with him. And it's in this story that we see Jesus doing the things that Jesus does, taking his life into his own hands that he might bring life to the people that he loves. Let's look together. This is John chapter 11. I will read verses 17 through 45. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her. Supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. O you who rose again, animate our hearts with the hope and the truth of the resurrection. Holy Spirit, would you please be among us this morning speaking the truth of these words Write to us in the places that we need to hear them. Encourage us, nourish us in faith. And I pray that you would help me to love these friends well with the words that I say, and that they would be loving and honoring to you, our Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you're feeling a little absent-minded this morning, I want you to know that you're in good company. Apparently, so is Albert Einstein, uh, one of the most famous uh, and, uh, and brilliant physicists also has a number of stories about him uh, of his forgetfulness. Apparently he was notorious for forgetting where he lived, uh, where, what country he was in at the time. But one of my favorite stories was about when he was on a train. Apparently he was doing some research in Princeton at the time and he was taking the train to somewhere where he was giving a lecture and, uh, and he saw the conductor coming down the aisle, you know, p- punching the tickets on the, uh, uh, the tickets for the passengers. And he felt in his vest pocket and, uh, and there was no ticket there. So he was a little alarmed and checked his pants pockets. Also, no ticket there. And by the time the conductor got to him, he was like rustling around in his briefcase and checking the seat next to him. No ticket could be found. And the conductor looked at him and he said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. I think everybody on this train knows who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. And the conductor just went on down the aisle, continuing to punch tickets. And before he left to board the the train car behind him, he looked back and he saw Albert Einstein on his hands and knees, like looking around for his ticket under his seat. And so he rushes back to to him to assure him. And he said, Dr. Einstein, I, I, I assure you, there's no problem here. I know who you are. I'm confident that you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And from his hands and knees, Albert Einstein looks up at this conductor and says, thank you. 
I appreciate this. I too know who I am, but what I don't know is where I am going. (laughs) That is so relatable, isn't it? There is hope for everyone. Even the most brilliant among us might be so forgetful. I find that happens to me when I'm really preoccupied. Things like that. When the calendar gets really full and the to-do list gets really long and the, the immediate needs around me become so profound, it's hard for me to consider just where am I going? What is the trajectory of my life? And the truth is, is that both are important, right? That we, that we, both, have to, that we both have to give attention to the immediate needs around us And lift our eyes and look to the horizon and consider the trajectory that we're on. And when we look at this story, I think we're seeing Jesus do just that for us. Attending to both our immediate needs and our future needs. And it all surrounds one of the most difficult realities that we live with. And that's the reality of death. And so here's what I want to say this morning is that in this scene, in the scene of death, Jesus gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Strength for the day and hope for tomorrow. And if you're wondering if I borrowed that from a famous hymn, I did, okay? And we're all nerds here, so you're good company. First, strength for today. What I want to do is focus in on just how Jesus handles people in their saddest time and some of their most difficult times and how Jesus gives them strength. Because when Jesus comes to Lazarus's family, he comes to them on a very sad day with the death of their brother. And and we know that, uh, we can't know this for sure, but we think that Lazarus was Mary and Martha's younger brother, which would only compound their sadness. And so when he comes to them in their sadness, he also comes to them in their feelings of futility. Because that's what death does. It reminds us of our futility, that that it exists and it's coming for each one of us. And as much as we have learned to delay it, we can't stop it. And the text notes that Jesus came four days after Lazarus had passed away. That's actually an important note. Because in their tradition, the fourth day was when, was when the, the ritual of mourning reached its highest point. That's when they believed the soul truly left the body and that life was truly gone. And so it's telling to me that Jesus comes to them, doesn't just come to them in their sadness and their futility. He comes to them in a time of their deepest sadness and their deepest feelings of futility. And he also comes to them And they are confused a little bit about who he is. But no one in the scene is quite sure who Jesus is. If you look, you see, uh, what what does Martha say? say, She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Mary, in verse 32, says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? And the crowd, in 37, the crowd of mourning Jews who were there with them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying. All of them seem to understand that Jesus operates with some kind of power. 
And they, they, they believe about him that he has the power to delay death or to stop death. But it never entered any one of their minds that he might have the power to reverse it entirely. And no one could fault them for this. In a lot of ways, they're just like you and me as we're growing in our knowledge of Jesus. But it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't restrict his promise to only or exercise his power only on behalf of those who have a full and comprehensive knowledge of who he is. And if we pull the lens back a little bit and look at Jesus's ministry, you can see that he has a habit of doing this. Like you can even identify a pattern of Jesus intersecting with people in their times of greatest sadness and in their times of of futility and, and, and doing this on behalf of people who aren't quite sure who he is. I mean, just, just think about when he came, when he put himself between an adulterous uh, woman and a bunch of people who wanted to stone her. I mean, that was a time of desperation for her, of deep sadness and in shame and futility against these people who were planning to kill her. And yet he stands between them. He shows up at just that time. Or think about the demon-possessed man that was, he, he came across on the side of a lake, ostracized from his community, overpowered by something that he, that he can't seem to fight against. And in that story, the demons actually had a, had a fuller understanding of who he was than anybody else in that story. Or when he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, also ostracized by her community, in deep sadness, with feelings of futility, not sure who he is. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus coming to them in this place. Pastoring on this block gives you the opportunity to meet a lot of people that live around here, work around here. Uh, People that work in businesses around here come across them, building friendships. There are also a lot of people around here that live on the streets. And you probably met some of them. But when you come in here every day or most days, then you start to develop a friendship with them for as long as you're with them. You end up in good conversations. And there was this one guy, I'm not going to tell you his name because I really hope he comes back. Um, But I got to know him over several months of just running into him on the street. He's really intelligent, really, really funny guy. And we'd have great conversations, uh, conversations that mattered. And uh, every now and then he would say to me, Pastor... I'm going to come, I'm going to get cleaned up, and then I'm going to come worship with y'all. And, I would, and of course, I, I would say exactly what any one of you would say. I would say, hey, just come as you are. Just come, be with us. You are totally welcome here. And every Sunday would come and go, and he would be nowhere to be found. Couldn't find him. It's too hard for him to come. And then a day or two later, he'd say, to me, he'd say it again to me, Pastor, eventually, I'm going to get cleaned up. And I'm going to come. And we all know what he was thinking, right? In fact, many of us have had those thoughts ourselves. Because it's so easy for us to believe that Jesus is for a certain type of person. A certain type of person that might dress a certain way. Or act a certain way or have certain words. And he knows the words to, to, when, when he prays aloud that Jesus is for those people, and if Jesus is for those people, it's so hard to believe that he could be for me. And you know as well as I do that most of those assumptions are based on an image, 
And it's one of the most natural things that we do is we cultivate an image of who we want other people to see. And behind that image, we all have things that we wrestle with, sadness and futility and confusion about who Jesus is. And I would even propose to you that that's one of the great sources of our exhaustion lies in posturing as if weakness is not true of us. But for Jesus' people, this is silliness. Because many of us have, have the same stories that many of these people have about Jesus meeting us in our times of great desperation. I have a friend, he's been a pastor for a long time, and he loves to say this. He's riffing on another quote, but he loves to say this, that the church of Jesus is the only institution where the first thing you have to do in order to belong is just simply admit that you're jacked up. And if posturing is exhausting, then honesty is life-giving. And humility is hard, but at least it's honest. And because of Jesus' grace that's won for us on the cross, we are free to be honest about who we are. And we can strive with goodness, with a humble resolve. He gives us that strength for the day. And some might call this weakness. But in God's economy, that really is true strength. And we can do this because when Jesus comes to you, he comes with understanding. There are no illusions in Jesus' mind about who you are. We don't pray prayers of confession and surprise them. But he comes to you with sympathy. He comes to you with understanding. And there is no part of you that he doesn't embrace. In fact, I would venture to guess that the places in you that are darkest are the places that he is most familiar with. Because that's where he goes to work. And if you're wondering if this is really true, then I want you to look at Jesus with these ladies and watch him bearing with them, spending time with them, revealing himself to them in their moments of difficulty, teaching them, displaying his power to them. How does Jesus give them strength for, for today? By giving them himself. To quote another hymn, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. All they had was their sense of need. And what we see is that's all they needed. Strength for today. But what about hope for tomorrow? Are our days always going to look like this? Or will there come a time when sadness is fully and completely undone? When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he gives them a reason for hope. Hope in his promises and hope in his power. And if we talk about Jesus' promises, we have to look at the conversation that he had with Martha. Look at verse 23. What does he say? He says, your brother will rise again. Now that's a promise. And Martha, what does she say? She says, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And when she said this, she was simply articulating something that the Pharisees believed. That God had made a promise to his people and there will be a last day and then God's people will rise again. But what Jesus did is he presses in and he is looking to move. This is something Carla prayed for earlier. He is looking to move this from an abstract belief to a personalized, a deeply personalized understanding of who Jesus is. And so what does he say? He says, I 
am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus is saying, if you want access to this resurrection and life, you will find it in one place, right here, right here with me. And that's exactly what you see in the way that he interacts with the very presence of death. What you see is that Jesus can't cohabit with death. He can't stand the idea of death. When Mary comes out to meet him, he surveys the scene. And he sees Mary weeping. And then he looks out and he sees that all the Jews who were with her were also weeping. And and what does it say about him? It says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. That word deeply moved could also read outrage, that he was visibly angry at the presence of death, grief and anger at the presence of death and its effect on people that he loves. And when he came to the tomb, he broke down and he wept. He had this visible emotional reaction. He is the life. So he hates death. He can't cohabit with death. Death is not only his enemy, but it's the enemy of the people that he loves. And so what does he promise? He is promising here in this passage. And he, and he puts a payment down on that promise that death doesn't get to have the last word. Several years ago, there was a man named John Phipps. I think this was 2005. He was also on a train. Uh, riding from L.A. to Burbank, where he, was, where he was going to work. And he took a nap. He was, a, he was in the top floor of a double-decker car. He took a nap. And there was a terrible accident where the train derailed. And so he, all he remembers is that he, he fell asleep, and then he woke up, and he felt a mist on his face and bits of train all around him. And he felt the back of his head, and his hand came away covered in blood, and he cried out for help, and nobody was there. Nobody responded to him, and he thought, he thought death was coming for him. And so what did he do? Well, he did what a lot of us would do. He thought of the people that he loved, and he decided that he would write a note to his wife and to his two children. And so with his fingers covered in blood, he reached out, and he said, I heart Leslie, his wife. And then he said, I heart my kids. With the few moments he thought he had left, he declared his love, his deepest loves, with his very own blood. John Phipps ended up surviving, actually. Rescuers came, they got him out of there, and then later other rescuers actually saw the note that he left. And, uh, and And they took a picture of it, and it hit the news. Nobody knew who had done it. And John Phipps came forward and he like fessed up and he said, actually, that was me. I was thinking of my family Uh, and just everyone went crazy. They interviewed everybody that was around and every member of his family. And his daughter had this funny quote to say, she said, it's very sweet. And I'm surprised, I'm not surprised he did that, but he should have been worried about keeping the blood inside of him instead of playing with it. That's what she said. (laughs) Only your own kid. And that's funny, but there's something sweet about it too, right? Like, that's not something you get over quickly. When someone declares their love with their own blood. Listen, when Jesus went to the cross, that's exactly what he did. 
That was life doing battle with death. And he hated your death more than he hated his own death. And as he hung there, he was declaring his love for you with his own blood. And what we celebrate this morning is that when death had its shot at him, it couldn't hold him. And when Jesus calls out to Lazarus' body, we hear the Father's voice calling out to Jesus' body. And the promise is that this same voice will one day cry out to your body. And when that voice calls, we will know that the long journey of undoing death has been completed. That death is no more and all those who have faith in him will rise. But let me ask you this question. It's the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this is true? Do you believe that Jesus really came and lived among us? That he was a real man, yet he was fully God. That he lived a perfect life and perfect obedience to his father. And that he really died as a sacrifice for your sin to make you right with God. And really, really, really rose again on the third day. Do you believe that's true? And if you do, I want you to know that's just what Jesus wants for you. What does verse 45 say? Why did Jesus do this? Many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. That was the whole point. That they and you and I would be able to look on him with faith, trusting our lives today and tomorrow to him. And if you can look on this and this story of Easter resurrection and believe it really happened, then I want you to hear this. This same love, this same power, and these same promises are extended to you. That his life is your life. That his death is your death. And his resurrection is your resurrection. If you've forgotten where you're going, if you've been a little preoccupied, and you're wondering why hope is reasonable on days like this, I want you to know the answer is right here. That Jesus died, rose, and will come again for you. In 1981, Northern Ireland was embroiled in a conflict. Many of you know about this. But the Protestants and the Catholics were at war with each other. It was a violent conflict that lasted for 30 years. It was called the Troubles. But some people called it the War That Never Ends. And one morning in the town of Lisburn... A bomb went off around the corner of the local Presbyterian church. Now, there was a rule during the Troubles that churches couldn't be touched. But this one was. A bomb went off, and uh, apparently the, the, this place of refuge and safety be, one day mirrored the chaos of the world. And it took years for that church to, to rebuild. And apparently the windows were the ones that were the hardest hit. This church had beautiful stained glass windows. And it, and it broke the hearts of the people of this church as they went in and they saw this, all this colored stained glass lying around. And they decided that they would pick up every piece of, the, of stained glass and begin to assemble a new window. And you can go there today. It's still there. You can go to the town of Lisbon and you can see this window. It's got an orb in the middle representing the earth. 
And this orb is, is, uh, has red streaks running through it, which, which uh, resemble the suffering and the sorrow of the world. And in this orb, you have bright white lights coming through, which represent the power of Christ pushing back against the effects of death and suffering and sorrow. And then surrounding this orb, you've got green palms, which represent the victory, the triumph of Christ, and the future perfect renewal that he will execute one day. And what do they call this window? They call it the resurrection window. That they took something broken, and they put something back back together again, and it was beautiful. It took them six years. It was 1987 when they hung it up. 11 years before, before the end of the troubles. But yet they found strength for hard days in the same place where they found hope for tomorrow. And so for you, people of Jesus, as you look on Jesus this morning, as you bear witness to the beauty of the resurrection, the life everlasting that is for you, I want you to hear this proclamation of hope that Christ died, Christ was risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. Thanks be to God. Oh, you who's alive, animate our hearts with this hope. Hold us in faith, give us strength for today, and infuse us with hope for tomorrow. I pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.